Hello, and thanks for listening to a podcast episode from Spun Stories, a live storytelling night in Darwin at the very top of Australia's Northern Territory. My name's Jess Ong. Now, Alex Edmondson is a story producer here at Spun Stories, but at our last event, Alex stepped out from behind the scenes to share her own story. One about how she unravelled her life at the age of 34 and then managed to put it all back together. I've always wanted to have kids. And when I was in my 20s, I was on a fairly conventional path to having them. I had been in a string of relationships with men and I was working in my dream job. Uh, I was working in the film industry for Baz Luhrmann. But by the time I'd reached my early 30s, my life had slowly started to derail. I'd left Baz to strike out on my own as a filmmaker and it wasn't really working out the way I'd planned. I'd ended up working at the local cinema, um, making popcorn and selling movie tickets. And because I was pretty broke, I'd been forced to move back in with my parents, which was humiliating. And it felt like the only thing that I really had going for me in my life was that I had this boyfriend. And we'd been together for about two years. But if I was really honest with myself, usually um, in my quieter moments when we were lying in bed, I had to admit that it felt like there was something missing from our relationship. And... If I was really honest with myself, um, I think I knew what it was, but the idea terrified me. And so I kept putting it out of my head. But as often happens, it kept creeping back in. And then one day, for some reason, I decided to do something about it. And I clicked on uh, a lesbian dating app. I signed up for it with a fake name, Zanna, and I uploaded a photo of myself uh, with my face completely obscured by a hat and sunglasses. <laughs> and I spent a few months on that site and reached the conclusion that I'd made a huge mistake, that I wasn't a lesbian. And I was kind of relieved. But before I could disable my profile, a message came through and it was from a woman who was also using a fake name, Piper. And because I'd been watching a bit of Orange is the New Black, I appreciated that reference. <laughs> she didn't have any profile picture at all. But we started talking online and her messages were really funny and really smart. And we realised that we actually had quite a lot in common. She had also recently ended a long-term relationship with a man and she had left her career to go back to art school and her name was Kate. After talking for a little while, Kate and I decided to meet in person and we met at an art gallery. And when we met, I realised that this is what I'd been looking for. And that night, I remember lying in bed and feeling like my life was somehow at a crossroads. 
and that if I chose to keep seeing Kate, that it might take quite a different path to the one that I'd imagined for myself. And of course, we did keep seeing each other and we saw a lot of each other over the next few weeks. And in the excitement of meeting someone new, I completely forgot that several weeks before I'd been to the GP. And it had been a routine checkup, but the GP had said to me, look, you're 34 years old. Uh, if you want to start a family, then it would be a good idea to get your fertility tested. Uh, and so I took her advice and I got some tests done, but I hadn't picked up the results. And a text message came through reminding me to pick them up, and so I did. I went to the clinic expecting her to tell me that my fertility was pretty normal for my age, but she said that your fertility is extremely low for your age. And she asked me if I was in a position to have kids with my current partner, and I said no, that a few things had changed recently. And so she said, honestly, the next best thing that you could do is to freeze embryos with a sperm donor. And I remember leaving the clinic and feeling upset about what she had told me, but also thinking like, no matter what happens with my boyfriend or with Kate, that I'm going to do this and I'm probably going to do it soon because I really did want kids. And so I told Kate that, you know, I wanted to keep seeing her, but that I would be doing IVF. And so we started our relationship um, much in the same way that anyone does. We were hanging out a lot and, you know, staying out late at night, but we'd be hanging out in bars and I'd be ducking out to the bathrooms to give myself hormone injections. And even though I was doing this on my own, we were spending so much time together that, you know, inevitably Kate got involved in the process too. So I'd be flicking through donor catalogues and texting her photos of the potential candidates. I can remember at one point going to an appointment at the clinic and Kate came along with me and I was sitting there and I saw a lesbian couple sitting across the room and I imagined that they had probably been together forever and had, you know, finally reached this decision to have children. And I looked at Kate sitting next to me, who I'd known for about six weeks at that point, and I felt like a total fraud. But underneath that feeling was another feeling that something about this felt weirdly right. And so... I went through IVF and at the end of it, there were two embryos which were frozen. And over the next couple of years, Kate and I had a lot of catching up to do to become fully functioning members of the queer community. <laughs> and we still had a lot of questions around identity. I kept wondering, am I really ready to have a baby when I still feel like I don't really understand myself? But by the time I'd reached 37, we still didn't feel ready to start a family, but I didn't want to leave it any longer. And so I decided to have the embryos put back in. And by that time, we'd moved north to Darwin for work and to have a bit more space to be ourselves. 
And to have the embryos put back in, I would need to fly back to Sydney. So everything was organised and I was ready to leave when a phone call came through from the IVF clinic and the voice on the other end sounded serious and I thought, something's happened. They told me that the embryos that I'd frozen several years before had been damaged somehow. And when I dug a bit deeper to find out what that meant, it meant that someone had dropped them and that they couldn't be used. And so at that point, I thought, you know, this life that I had imagined for myself, it's, it's not going to happen. The only compensation that the clinic could offer was that they could put me through IVF again. And I didn't know if it would work because obviously now I was three years older than I had been, but I agreed to do it and went through the process again, all the injections, the tests, and at the end of that process, there was just one embryo. And they warned me that the chances of it working were very slim. But I had that embryo put back in, and I got on a plane and flew back to Darwin. And as anyone who's trying to get pregnant does, I spent a few anxious weeks waiting to find out if it had worked. After a few weeks, I remember I got in the car and I drove to the pharmacy up on Bagot Road and I bought a pregnancy test and I drove home and weed on the stick and I had to leave the room. I, I couldn't watch to see what happened. But when I came back into the room, I picked it up and there were two little lines and I was pregnant. And nine months later, our son was born. <laughs> I remember looking at him and thinking, I just can't believe that you're in the world. He was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And that was six months ago. And in the last six months, uh, we've had to figure out who we are as a family. And that will be an ongoing thing. But one of the really exciting things I've discovered about doing that as part of a same-sex couple is that there is no template, really. You get to make up your own rules. The other thing I realised is that you're never really ready to have kids that having kids is what makes you ready for having kids. And that if you choose to embrace the challenges that come your way in life and let them shape you, you will become the person that you're meant to be. Alex shared her story at our most recent event, which was held on International Women's Day. The theme was Backbone, and it featured a lineup of female and non-binary storytellers. In this episode, you heard story production by Johanna Bell, sound production by Gaia Osborne, sound editing by Ryan MacArthur, and music by Sam Carmody. Our podcast receives funding support from Darwin International Airports and we're one of the projects to come out of the Creative Production House Story Projects. 
If you've spent time in the Top End, you might know the traditional custodians of the Darwin region are the Larrakia people. We're grateful to them as first storytellers and for welcoming us to their country. My name's Jess Ong. Thanks for listening. <laughs>